This is actually a topic that's being talked about a lot in music education, like this culturally responsive teaching. And I would ask my students, and actually I do ask my students, what music do you listen to? And we do um, this thing called Music of My Life. And uh, they fill out a sheet, music that they remember from you know their early, early years as toddlers, the music that they remember from when they were growing up, like elementary school years, middle school years, and high school years. And it's always interesting because kiddos who are from, uh, again, the ELL students, they're like, well, but my music is in Somali. And I'm like, that's great. I would love to hear your music. And so each day I play somebody's song and they get to talk about their song. Welcome to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that explores the world of English language learners and how we can make a greater impact. Each episode, we bring you voices from across the ELL community to discuss the issues that matter most. Highest Aspirations is brought to you by Elevation Education, your partner for ELL program management and instruction. Hey everybody, welcome back to Highest Aspirations. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. How can making and sharing music bring together diverse groups of students? What skills does an educator need to incorporate tech tools to help students create culturally relevant and academically appropriate products? How can teachers of any subject leverage the power of music and technology to nurture strong classroom and school communities? We discuss these questions and much more with Sarah Minette. Sarah has taught for 14 years in public schools. She currently teaches a variety of music classes at Minneapolis South High School, a very large and diverse school in the heart of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Sarah's in the process of developing as many classes as possible to create multiple access points for students at South to experience music education. When Sarah is not busy teaching at South High, she spends her time as a doctoral candidate through Arizona State University. Sarah has presented her research at local and national venues, including the National Association for Music Education Research Conference, the Feminist Theory and Music Conference, the Society for Music Teacher Education Symposium, and the New Directions Conference. Let's get started. Hello, Sarah. Welcome to Highest Aspirations. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, it's my pleasure. Really excited to talk about this uh, important topic. So I want to start by referencing the insightful article that you wrote for Getting Smart. It was called How Music Making Technology United a Classroom of Diverse Learners. And what really caught me about that title uh, is, well, both. I, I the music piece and the tech piece. I love both. Um, but we do hear a lot about the power of music and the arts in general to bring people together. But the article that you wrote calls out the technology piece. So I'm curious if you could talk to us a little bit about why that tech is so crucial here when working with these diverse students. Yeah. Um, to give a little background, too, to that article, I was actually approached by Soundtrap, which um, is the technology that I use, and that's a cloud-based technology. Um, they, I had put something up on my blog about what I'd use, and somehow they came across it, and they asked if I would write an article about Soundtrap. So it was kind of them and myself uh, commingling, if you will, co-writing this. I did most of the writing, though. So um, 
I guess <laughs> now I already forgot your question. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> it's the end of a school. Oh, totally. This is, this is all real life. Yep. Two o'clock yep. uh, at the end of a school day. Yep. So, and, and I think I'll respond to what you said already, because I think that's great. Like you wrote a blog post and the blog post was about this. Does it Soundtrap the name of the organization? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so you wrote it and they found it and they decided they wanted you to write an article. So that's just food for thought for those listeners who are thinking, you know, why is it important for me to write about what I'm doing? Because you never know what's going to happen to it. But my question was like, you know, we hear a lot, whether or not it's actually true and people really feel this way. We do hear a lot about like the power of music in the arts when working with particularly diverse groups of students. But we don't really, I mean, I haven't heard a lot about like the technology behind putting the music together. So I'm curious about like, like why that is so crucial for you and why you made that kind of a centerpiece of the article. Well, um, it, it stemmed from some of the work that I do in our school um, and just, I, I found this, this program Soundtrap, and one of the reasons I used it versus GarageBand is because it is a community-based uh, program. So it's in the cloud, and it, the students have described it like it's a combination of Google Drive and SoundCloud, where you can upload music, but you can also create your own music, but it's also, you can create music with others. So there's this really cool collaborative part where you you and a partner might be working on the same tune together or the same beats together or you're creating a song together. And I found that really uh, powerful for the students because instead of being behind a screen, which our students don't do not need to be behind a screen any more than they already are, but given the advancement of this technology, they were creating music together in what some people might not consider a traditional sphere of creating music, but they were doing it together. So to me, I thought that that was a really nice replacement for something like GarageBand, where it has to be on a Mac and it has to be on a certain computer um, or something like Ableton, which is way beyond my understanding of technology and way beyond our financial means here at our school. So that community aspect, which goes back into your question and thoughts about, you know, music bringing community together. Yeah, that's great. And so a couple of things to take out of there, one of which the idea that um, you're not like letting the technology rule what it is that you're trying to do with these diverse students, but rather you're choosing, and it sounds like you sought out uh, a platform or a tool that would allow you or would allow your students to collaborate in a certain way. And I think, you know, that this, we're going to get into English language learners and diversity as a topic of this podcast, but I think an important lesson here for us to learn is to uh, decide what it is that you want to do in your class first, in this case, make music collaboratively, and then choose the technology that's going to work to make that goal a reality. Sure. Absolutely. I, I mean, there's such a push for technology, but a lot of the times, and this kind of segues maybe into a possible topic that we're talking about, is that um, it, it can really get in the way uh, of learning. And that's something that I have learned, especially four years ago when I started this job at this school, and you and I talked a bit about over the phone, is that not all students, despite what we think, are not digital natives. And so for 
for some students, they have not experienced technology in the way that other students have. So even the idea of creating a username and a password and then having to remember those uh, two things, it can be very overwhelming for some of the students who are new to our school, who are new to our country, and definitely who um, don't necessarily speak the same language that I do. And so um, I think um, I, I use technology as, as a tool of learning um, and for learning, but it is definitely not at the center of the learning. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's that's a really important point to make. And I'm, I'm, glad, I'm actually glad we started there because I think, you know, we'll go into the the diversity and how um, how you're using these tools to work with your English language learners. But that, that first piece, and I, I'm a little biased as kind of a uh, former tech integrator and, uh, um, you know, I, 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 in my quote unquote spare time, I co-teach a class called Teaching and Learning in the Digital Age. So I'm, I'm surrounded by it. But I, I do want to transition over to um, the kind of the diversity and the English language learners piece. So I want to start off by, you know, saying it's important to mention that the school that you work in and, the, and that you're using this technology in and teaching in um, is extremely diverse. You're working with students, um, some of whom speak little to no English and others who are highly proficient. And so that leads me to the question, how does making music, particularly making music using this technology, bring diverse groups of learners together, even in classes where up to seven or eight different languages are spoken. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's every day is an experiment <laughs> um, for me and for the students. And we absolutely learn together. And so for them, it might just be, um, you know, putting beats together and seeing what sounds good or feels good. And then they share it with each other. And there's a lot of laughter that happens. And so they'll, um, uh, you know, listen to each other's work on headphones and they'll be laughing or they'll be very quizzical looks like, what is that? <laughs> or like lot, lots of nods of appreciation. And so when we share our music um, for the whole class, you know, everybody, um, no matter where they're at in their musical journey and their language journey and their human journey, they all feel like they've created something. And that's so important to me um, that human beings believe and feel that they are creative because I think that is in, in whatever that may be, whether it's making music or whether it's creating a visual piece of art or poems or whatever, I think it's, it's such a humanistic thing that again, back to the technology, I think sometimes is lost. And so when we bring a community of diverse learners and diverse languages and diverse colors and all these things together and we're experimenting and playing around with these sounds and then they create something of their own, um, it, it's really powerful. It's really powerful. It's really fun. Yeah. And that's just part of the human experience. The, and I like it how you mentioned that, you know, it's not necessarily just music, um, but other pieces as well. And one of the projects that you actually mention in the article, and we, we will link to the article at the end of the, um, or in the show notes so people can read it, because I think it's definitely worth reading. But but one of the projects that you mentioned um, was called Soundscapes. And I, I was really fascinated by this because students were tasked with with using the sounds from the school to create this original piece of music. And I, like I have in my head, and I'm sure it's not exactly how it worked out, but I have in my head this vision of you know these students who are English language learners kind of thinking about the sounds which may be new to them and then recording them and then 
making some music out of it and then actually using that as a way to kind of process their experience. I don't know if any of that is right, but that's what I'm sort of thinking um, in my head as I, as, I, as I read the article. I'm curious what your, um, what your perception of what the impact of that particular project and or others like it had on your English language learners. That's a great question. And you know, <laughs> um, to be honest, I hadn't considered that last aspect about how they've processed that experience. And that's a, that is, wow, that's, that's a really great question and something that I would ask them when we do this in the future. Well, let, let me know what they say. I'm curious yeah. about that. <laughs> I, I, I'm curious too, um, because the students in that class were a little more proficient, but one student, Diego, he's the one that created the doors piece. And he was from, he was an exchange student from, I think it was Peru, but he had not been in a music class before. And he was in guitar first semester and then he was in guitar. So this was guitar two class. And we had just gotten done with a different project on using soundscape and they all really enjoyed that tool. And they asked if there could be another um, project. And I've always wanted to do this soundscapes kind of thing where the students go around and collect sounds either on their phone or with their computer, record them, and then somehow create this, this you know, a, a collage of sounds or a full out piece. And so his was so interesting because, and I think it's, I think I shared it with you, um, or I will share it with you. He recorded different doors opening and closing throughout the building and, um, those opening and closings of the doors were then different sections of the song he created. And his rationale for, the, for that was that when you open and close a door, you're in a new space. So if you're opening and closing a door, there should be a new section of music. <laughs> I was just like blown away by that, just creativeness. And yet, I mean, okay, so he had never ever taken a music class, but he is a musical being. He listens to music, he engages in music. So just because you haven't taken a music, a music class and just because you're from a different part of the country doesn't mean that you can't engage in some sort of musical make, creative making or music making. It was just, it, to me, that was really profound. And his students, his students, the students in the class, his peers were really, really appreciative of his work and, you know, applauded him and, you know, he felt very empowered by that whole experience. Yeah. And that, that last piece like brings me to another, as you were talking about that, I was thinking, you know, I wonder if some of these projects created by students who are not necessarily proficient in an instrument and, or, um, are, are English language learners in some way, whether they're advanced or beginners, if that sort of creates, um, maybe empathy is the wrong word, but empathy or, uh, respect, um, among others in the class or in the school. And, it sounds like you were you were alluding to the fact that 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 was the case. I do think so. I, I do think so. And so I, um, traveling back in time four years ago, um, I had a class. They're beautiful, beautiful people. It was twenty five students, and two of them could speak English. The rest were all from um, either Central America or South America. And this was when I first started my job and I was still trying to figure out what it meant to be a white teacher teaching these students who didn't look like me, who didn't sure. 
sound like me and where was my place in all of this. And um, this one kiddo, Oscar, he loved guitar and all he wanted to play was the music of his home. And I don't remember what region of Mexico he's from, but he just, you know, it, every day after about 15 minutes, my class is very open in that I, I give students a lot of freedom as to what they can work on. But every day there would just be this little crowd around Oscar and they would all be singing together and they would all be playing together. And it was such a community maker. And, you know, they were playing the songs that were familiar to them. Um, and they were just building that community and kind of known now among his peers as a very good guitar player because of that. And then there was another student, Juan from Ecuador, same thing. He and a bunch of his buddies just loved playing guitar and were so just impressed their peers with their heart, with their hard work and commitment. And their peers wanted to be a part of that. And so more and more of those kiddos were like, can I come play guitar? And then they were coming in during their study halls to play guitar. And then they were coming in during their math classes. And then I said, I had to say, no, 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 you can't be in here yeah, during math class. Like, draw the line at some point. <laughs> yeah. So just that community and I, yeah, maybe not empathy, but definitely respect. Like here I am, you know, trying to figure out what does it mean to be a teenager? What does it mean to be a Mexican in this time and space of the United States and trying to learn a, a language and doing all these things, but I have this music that keeps me grounded and it, it's just, uh, it just warms my heart. It's a beautiful story. And I think like there's a couple things that you mentioned the word community a lot already, which I think is important. And I think that's exactly what you're doing is building community, which is so important. But the other thing that I take out of this is, you know, there's a lot of research out there um, that, and it's a pretty well known, uh, at least among ELL teachers and specialists at this point, that maintaining home culture and home language and home traditions is so important and only helps the student become um, a more well-rounded student academically and socially. And what, you know, what you're doing, I think, with students like Diego, forgive me if I got his name wrong, that plays the guitar there, or the student from Mexico that plays the guitar, is he is holding on to a part of his home culture. And not only is he doing that, but he's sharing it with others, which, which brings up this idea that we talk about all the time on this podcast, the idea of um, looking at these students as assets. And clearly someone who can yeah. bring a group of people together around something as human as music um, is an asset. And I think that's I think that's pretty amazing. I think that's a pretty important um, piece. And I'll say one more thing, and that is that um, I, I spoke with um, a student from Syria who actually wrote a book in a, in a previous um, episode, and he was talking to me about how for him, it was just soccer. The idea of like being able to, he was good at soccer. He liked playing soccer. The idea, the, the importance of sharing that. And he said, you know, other, for other students, it was drawing. And I actually mentioned to him that I was going to speak with you in a couple of weeks. And he said, oh, that's great because it's so important. Music is the thing for so many people. So um, I think that's, I think that's wonderful. I had three um, students last year from Ethiopia and Somalia, three boys, two of them were brothers and one was a, a friend of theirs. And they spoke like very, very, very little um, English. Their main language was Somali. And um, 
they loved soccer though. So one of the things that we do in guitar is write a song. And so I helped them out and we wrote a whole song about soccer. And it was just so much fun because they love soccer and they were, and they, I told them you can write it in your home language, but they really want, they were really wanting to learn, um, English and so we kept the words very very simple and it was just so much fun because they were so proud of this song that they wrote about soccer. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So Brittany, not only doing one of the of the activities that bring them together, but actually using the music to talk about the other activity, which is soccer. Yeah. That's great. So I want to come back to the to the tech to the tech part of this because there are like this is I mean I was a high school teacher for 17 years and I you know I used a lot of technology I helped people use it but I definitely saw the pitfalls and it's not certainly not the center of everything that that we do or I don't think in my opinion should be but it is kind of it is a um, something that brings up a lot of tension a lot of fear a lot of anxiety yeah. among I would contend both teachers and students yes. so. You, you mentioned in the article that you had to embrace the idea of students teaching you new things. You, you, don't, you don't have to know everything about a piece of technology to use it. But right. I know as well as other teachers that are listening know that sort of letting go of this control can be really scary for a lot of teachers. And I would say particularly when you're working with English language learners. So what it, you've been through this um, and you're, you know, you're, you're, you're using tech in, in an area that some would say um, you know, you don't really need a lot of tech with because it's creation, but you've done it, you've done it successfully. So what advice would you give to teachers who might be somewhat cautious about relinquishing that control of if I don't know exactly how to use this thing, then how can I possibly use it? Uh, yeah, I think it's helpful to ask a student if they've ever heard of it or, um, sometimes what I do um, especially with Soundtrap, I mean, it's pretty simple, but there, there are some things that um, I wasn't familiar. And, I, you know, like all of us teachers, we don't have all the time in the world to, you know, spend five hours figuring things out. So at the beginning of class, maybe do kind of almost like a scavenger hunt where you, the teacher, maybe there's something that you're not sure how to do. And I think it's okay to ask the students, hey, I'm trying to figure this a solution to this problem I might have. I'm wondering if you might be able to help me out uh, figuring out this process. You know, maybe it's, I'm going back to Soundtrap, maybe it's um, like how to splice something. And then usually students, you know, can figure it out just by putzing around. And then they get to teach the rest of the class. I've used students um, in the past to create tutorials either video tutorials or like packet tutorials. One student, I had, I was fortunate that I had a student aide um, last year who created a tutorial on how to use Soundtrap, very detailed. And so that was really helpful. Um, but I think it's, it's really okay. Um, you know, nothing's gonna blow up if we allow the students to kind of explore. And to be honest, I think that's kind of how I figure things out is by sitting down and exploring like, you know, how do I splice something? Oh, I, I can Google that. <laughs> sure. I mean, it's messy, right? I mean, the, like this whole thing that I'm doing now, this podcast thing, I, I started it in March. And if you had told me, you know, that I was going to be 
creating, producing and disseminating my old podcast uh, two weeks before it happened, I probably would have laughed in your face, but you have to tinker. And I think one of the things that we maybe, uh, and I say we as, as teachers and educators, maybe are reluctant to do at times um, is, is, is have students kind of tinker with something. I uh, use the word putz around, which I think is the same thing. Um, especially with, with ELLs. And like, that's, that's the, that I'd like to kind of focus in on that a little bit because earlier you, you used the term uh, digital, digital native. We talked about that on the phone. Like we had actually a really, I thought cool conversation about this where it's like, it's supposedly if you're born uh, after a certain year, you're a digital native and therefore you know how to use all technology. Well, that's, that's not the case. And, and when you're dealing with students who are coming from very different backgrounds now it becomes the, the field becomes even wider. So given the fact that, you know, you have to get students up to par with using certain technologies. Yeah. You can let them tinker and play with it, but how, how do you, how do you fill in those, those wide gaps with, with sort of tech knowledge or technology knowledge and level of playing field so that all of the students can take part regardless of tech skills or language level or musical ability is, is, is that, is that the tinkering? Is that what that is? Or is there more to it than that? Well, I think it's probably the tinkering and then, you know, um, allowing for basic understanding. So maybe not all the students can do really advanced uh, things with the technology. Maybe it is just a basic understanding and that's okay. And then maybe we move to the next level in the next class because you can do some really great things with basic level understanding of technology. And again, I just think to back to our soundscapes, some of the creations were really advanced and some of them were very basic, but um, that didn't make it less of a, of, of a product, if you will, right, because right. the process about the process and what did those students uh, gain from that experience. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the journey's as important or if not more important than the actual product and, yeah. you know, getting that uh, across too, I, I think, um, has to be important. So you're, if I'm not mistaken, you're, you know, it sounds like phones, you know, cell phones, smartphones are, are the center of much of this creation. And so now we're going to dive into a very, uh, tenuous, um, sort of controversial topic, which is the topic of mobile devices. Um, using mobile devices, um, even for ELLs who rely on it for, you know, Google Translate when they first come, and it's like a, it's for many of those students, it's really like a lifeline. But even for them, it's, it still remains kind of a controversial and a challenging issue in some schools. So this is a tough question, but I'm gonna ask you anyway. How would you respond to policies that prohibit the use of phones in schools, given what you're trying to do with technology? So interesting that you are talking of asking me about that, because we're having that very discussion right now in our school. We had a really long talk about it as a staff, and there are some staff members that feel that there's just no place for it. And I respect that. Um, they can get in the way. Um, but I think, you know... <sighs> If we can think of it, for example, for what I use it for, so when we look up chord charts or we look up songs or we look up tutorials as a learning tool, um, a learning aid, I think uh, it, it can be very helpful. And if, if I could show how it's being used and the way in which it's being used in the classroom, I think 
um, teachers would be a little bit more understanding. And, you know, I got to be honest, it's like, I am also very much to some degree attached to my phone. If I don't know something, I'm going to look it up. I mean, well, who I'm doesn't? I mean, that we that this is the thing. Like, sorry to interrupt, but like, no, it's okay. We, we we live in a world where I mean, I used to say all the time, like, if you go to any PD event as a teacher and you look around, and there's a moment where it's not a captivating um, speaker or you or uh, you're involved in an activity, or even sometimes if you are, everybody is on their phones. I'm not making a judgment call saying that that's good or bad, but I'm saying that this is the world that we live in. Um, yes. And particularly given the, the fact, again, that this is a lifeline for many students who are English language learners in terms of not only looking up court charts for a class, but looking up how to say, where's the bathroom? Um, you know, it's yeah. kind of a tough one. But I guess on the other side, I'll say this one more thing and then I'll let you respond. Um, I guess on the other side, you know, it, it is also definitely true. It was, it was true three years ago when I left the classroom that there are students just like those teachers in PD who, when the teacher turns around, are texting or they're on social media or whatever else. So it's a tough one. So how do you, how do you mitigate those, yeah. those things with the ELL lens and the musical lens? Sure. So I, I actually have flow charts in my classroom that um, talk about, and we talk about it in class, that we will use the cell phone at times. And um, I will let you know when, when we can use your cell phone. But then I think... I trying to find where one is close to me oh there's not one close to me but it's like um I think the question is did Miss Minette say that you can use your phone and then it says yes and then there's an arrow to yes and then an arrow to then you may use your phone if it says no then put it away and then there's another question uh is that text or phone call or you know snap or whatever really that important uh, because I mean Parents are also trying to get a hold of their kids, even though they know that their child is in school. And especially we have a lot of um, separated families. You know, we still have families that are back home in mm -hmm. Somalia or Mexico or wherever. Sure. And, um, so it could be important. So I tell students, if it's really important, take it outside. Just like if I were in a meeting, I would take it out in the hall. If it's not that important, then don't respond. And, you know, this year, it's been um it's been I haven't had too many issues there have been I have had concerns about some students who I I think are physically uh incapable of putting their phone away but I think that's a whole separate other thing that perhaps we need to like that is in its own category that I think we need to discuss as educators sure. as a community as a society absolutely but I'm glad you brought up like the flow chart sounds, that's amazing. That's a great idea because you, you just brought up something, something that again, like I'll reference another episode that I did in a podcast and it was actually the author of a book um, called The Newcomers that her name is Helen Thorpe and she was in the book, she describes that there are some students that came from Iraq um, as refugees and they were on their cell phones texting um, when the teacher was turning around, uh, you know, secretly. And when she asked what she was embedded in the class, when she asked what they were doing, she said, we're texting our friends who are still in Turkey that are making this arduous journey to try to get to Germany, right? So like, it's just, the, it's, it, I mean, it's, everybody has their issues and reasons that they need to get in contact with anybody. But I think the stakes are higher for this specific population that we're talking about. And I think, 
you know, as educators, especially in this day and age, we just need to be more sensitive to those needs. I think, um, you know, if, if I had a family member that was ill, um, I would probably have my cell phone on me and, um, and I'd probably let the students know, like, here's what's going on. Um, you know, my father or my mother is sick and I, I have my cell phone with me because I'm trying to keep updates. So I think, I think we just, I, I don't want to humanize the cell phone, but it is our way of being connected and it is a blessing and it is a curse. But I think, um, again, uh, to bring it back to those students who are refugees and whose families are experiencing um, a lot more, many more issues than my personal family, I, I try to be a little more sensitive to that. Yeah. And I mean, and, and we're getting into sort of real, real issues, which, which is important, (laughs) but, but, but couple that with the fact that, you know, these, these maybe less importantly in the, in the grand scheme of the human existence, but important for your particular class, these, these phones are, are in, in some, in some capacity or these digital devices are in some capacity, um, allowing your students to do some pretty incredible things and to create. Um, and I think that that's important for, for, students to understand, you know, you may be a quote unquote digital native, but your digital native, um, digital nativeness may, may only go up to the point of knowing how to play your favorite video game. So understanding the power of the tool, I think is, is important. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, when I show them what they can do on, you know, creating beats, and soundtrack is something that they can download onto their phone. It's an app that they can have on yep. their phone they i mean that's like really cool oh yeah you know? convenient no is the, you know whatever game that they're all playing i can't remember the name of it i'm not that hip to remember all the games. fortnite fortnite yeah. you thinking fortnite yes, yeah there it is <laughs> well so i have i have yes. i have children my oldest is almost 14 so i yes yeah I, I i only know that because of uh the conversations oh, that we've sure. had <laughs> but we don't need to get into that so I want to come. I want to come back to the. I want to come back to the music as we begin to kind of wrap up here. Um, and you're you're um, a musical. You teach music. You're a musician yourself. You get to experience music every day with these kids, which I'm sure is an amazing gift. Um, I want to kind of leverage your expertise a little bit. I, I used music in my classes. I taught Spanish, and so. You know, I used it when we were um, for listening activities and to get kids to kind of start to think about vocabulary. I'd always have music on when the students came in and when they left. Um, I'm curious as to how you might recommend that other teachers use music in their classes. And I guess I'm particularly focused on those teachers who have kind of a wide variety of students in their classes like you do. Like, is it, would it be good for them to to, to look at their students and where they're from and think about the music from those places? Or what are some of the best ways to incorporate music into their classes, in your opinion? Yeah, so this is actually a topic that's being talked about a lot in music education, like this culturally responsive teaching. And um, I would ask my students, and actually I do ask my students, what music do you listen to? And we do um, this thing called Music of My Life, and uh, they fill out a sheet, um, music that they remember from you know, their early, early years as toddlers, the music that they remember from when they were growing up, like elementary school years, middle school years, high school years. And it's always interesting because 
kiddos who are from, uh, again, the ELL students, they're like, well, but my music is in Somali. And I'm like, that's great. Yeah. I would love to hear your music. And so each day I play somebody's song and they get to talk about their song. And so again, connecting to their home, but also sharing, because I don't know, I don't know anything about Somali music, even though I've been working with Somali kids, I, I don't have that understanding of the language itself, but just, it's such a unique sound. Um, and I'm trying, I'm, I mean, I do listen to it with them and I'm trying to listen to more on my own, but I, I am nowhere near an expert on it. So they talk about it or uh, <clears throat> the kids from Mexico. I always use this kind of talk about, you know, let's not assume what students listen to because a lot of the students from Mexico don't necessarily love mariachi music. Um, that wouldn't necessarily translate over to what they're really digging. A lot of them like corridos and a lot of students like la banda right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, they aren't necessarily into mariachi. Now, those are the students who are coming into Minnesota. Down in Arizona, I know that mariachi in the schools is really huge. And also thinking about the music, you know, just because a student is quote unquote Latino or Latina doesn't mean all their music is the same. So the students from Ecuador, their music sounds and um, sounds very different from the music of Mexico. And and they don't necessarily know each other's music. So it's very, it would be unwise to lump all that music uh, together and just say, here's some Latin American music. Yeah. <laughs> and ask them to bring in their music. And I will share back to the ELL sharing community, Juan and his two friends from Ecuador um, last year or two years ago, they learned one of their uh, per, uh, Ecuador. Ecuadorian folk songs in the native language of Ecuador. And I can't, it's Quicha or Quica. It's terrible. Thank you. You're welcome. That's it. That's the former Spanish teacher in me. Thank you. Thank you. And they learned it and they performed it for the class. And it was just amazing. And again, bringing that community and everybody was just like, kind of like in love with what they were doing and was so thankful for that experience. Yeah, And so I think as teachers, we just need ask the students, they're the experts on their music, you know, ask them what they're listening to and ask them why are they listening to it and what do they like about it? Is it the beat? Is it the sound? Is it the words? Once again, the solution is just very simple. Just ask the students, right? <laughs> and I think it's, you brought up cultural responsiveness and I'm glad you did. We've talked a lot about that as well. And making sure that we have um, practices that are cultural response that are culturally responsive. And I can't think of a more simple way to do it than just to have a playlist of students music or be playing students music as they walk in from different countries. And then you establish a community and get kids asking questions about different cultures. But at the same time, I'm also glad you mentioned it's, uh, and you didn't say it was dangerous, but I will. Um, I say, I think it's a little bit dangerous to just say, oh, like I have these kids from Mexico. So let me just choose, you know, what I think is Mexican music. Let me, let me find, uh, you know, some music from, um, you know, from Pakistan or from Somalia or whatever the case may be when um, we, we don't really have a grasp of that. So asking, and that also opens up the doors of communication, um, asking about something that's, again, is like very human, uh, you know, it's part of our human nature, music. So that's great. Really good recommendations there. Um, 
So as we wrap up, I always like to ask guests um, because I always like to collect resources. It's both a selfish question and I think a question that will help our audience members. I, I have a collection now of books that I need to read from talking to all of our guests. And so I'm going to ask you the same question that I ask um, every other guest on Highest Aspirations, which is, is there a book or another resource that um, has had a, like an impact, a profound impact on you either personally or professionally? And it doesn't have to be about teaching or English language learners, anything you want. Well, I made a list because <laughs> I didn't want Well prepared. <laughs> How about choose one? Can you choose one and we'll put all the other ones in the notes? You can choose two if you want. How about two? Okay. All right. So in no particular order, um, Randall Alsip has uh, really made me think, and he's a professor of music, and he's not only like a brilliant person, but also a super kind person. And he wrote this book, um, Remixing the Classroom Towards a New uh, Philosophy on Music Education. And um, really just rethinking what it is that we're doing and why we're doing it. Um, as music educators, um, we're having some pretty in intense and in-depth conversations in the music education profession about what we do and why we do and how we do and with whom. And so that book in itself has been I go back to that just phrases to just remind me to think about the bigger picture. And then the essay by James Baldwin, his talk to teachers, which he wrote in 19, I think 63. I, I don't know why I'm 38 years old and I'm just now getting to know James Baldwin, but what a prolific writer and what a, um, powerful statement he made in um in that essay i think it was a, it was actually a speech i think so much of what he said then pertains to what is happening now in 2018 and he asks these teachers to go for broke and juliet hess another scholar and brett talbot another scholar music education professors brilliant people kind of re re asked that question at a conference I was at and are we willing to go for broke and what does that mean and um I think for me it's really thinking about how far am I willing to go to fight for what I think is right for these students whether that means like completely reimagining what music education can look like and feel like um and going against the grain which i am thankful i can do in the school that i teach at and getting to know know the people that i get to work with every day which are the students um, they have a huge impact on me and the students have um are also a huge inspiration for me as well and clearly you're very passionate about them um which is why we asked the question and we like to share the resources and we, uh, we you and i will compile a list of the other ones and we'll put them all uh on the show notes um but i know that you do a lot of work and you have a lot of like resources out i've seen some of the videos of your students which are amazing so can you just tell us how i'll put these in the show notes too but can you tell um people how they can access that information sure i think the easy way would be to go to my website 
and that is Sarah Minette. So S-A-R-A-H-M-I-N-E-T-T-E music.com. And on there is um, my blog. There is some teaching materials. There's uh, links to my research that I'm doing. Um, I'm completing my dissertation this fall, which is really exciting. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And um, videos of the kids and videos of the kids talking about why they participate in music. And it's, um, I try to keep it as updated as possible. So I think that would be the best site. Great. Well, perfect. We will list that and all the other resources that you and I talked about in the show notes so people can access those and they're at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community. Um, but I just, at this point, Tara, I want to thank you so much um, for taking the time to chat with us about music, about tech, about some of the tension that we're dealing with and, uh, and, uh, and attempting some an- to answer some questions that are, that are not easily answered. So thanks so much for your time and look forward to collaborating more in the future. This was really, really nice. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.